0: Um, we are going to be in Daniel four and five today. So I'm going to read us a a little bit of, um, of Daniel chapter four and, uh, we'll, we'll kind of go back over the story here in a second, but I'm gonna start in verse 28. It says this, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later, as the king was walking on his roof in the Royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the Royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, the words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what was decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken away from you. You will be driven away from people and will and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. 7 times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and give them gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately What had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys have a seat. Let's pray. God, as we um, read a couple interesting stories from your word today, I I pray that you would... um, God, just let your word come and sit on our hearts and in our minds today. Let us hear from you what you would have us hear. Let us be encouraged in the ways that we need to be encouraged, but let us be convicted in the ways we need to be convicted because your truth does both. And God, if there's any proud among us, myself included, God, that you would humble us under your hand today. And if there's any fearful among us, any timid, any any afraid of speaking your truth, God, I pray that your truth would just so encourage our hearts and challenge us and push us forward to speak what is true in this world, to be faithful to your word and to live according to it, God. Thank you for all you do, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Couple of interesting stories today in the book of Daniel. As we end up this series stand, uh, we've been walking through Daniel, really just chapters one through six, and um, we've seen some of the more famous stories already with the Daniel fast story and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the idol and all that, and the fiery furnace, and then Daniel in the lions' den last week. These two stories, this is Daniel four and five. You got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. But in Daniel four and five, we see a couple of real interesting stories where Daniel, in his time in Babylon, these two stories by the way are about twenty years apart from each other. Um, so In his time in Babylon, he's under King Nebuchadnezzar and then under King uh, Belshazzar later. um, He he has an opportunity to tell the truth to some very powerful men. Um, And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody, especially somebody in authority, somebody with power over you um, needed to be told the truth needed to have something said to them that was true. And maybe that can be a little intimidating. That can be a little bit scary to do. Or maybe not even that. Maybe not even somebody over you or in in authority or powerful. But sometimes, man, we just have these opportunities in life, right? To speak truth into someone's life. To say to somebody something that is maybe not the best thing that they want to hear right now, or maybe not the thing that's going to make them feel great about themselves, but it's true nonetheless. And, and, and sometimes we're just called to speak truth to them. And Daniel has those opportunities, two different times, two different stories. But this happens all the time in the Bible, actually. There's several different stories. I was kind of thinking about this this week of times when uh, people get to really go and tell the truth to somebody in power. I think about John the Baptist with King Herod. Um, he tells King Herod, like, it's, it's against the law of God for you to be sleeping with your brother's wife right? Because Herod was doing that. And um, Herod eventually has his head cut off uh, for that because uh, that lady didn't like that too much. Um, the apostle Paul, a couple different times in the book of Acts, he has an opportunity to share the gospel and the truth of Jesus uh, with um, a couple different people, Governor Felix, King Herod Agrippa. And he does, man, like he just stands up and he boldly proclaims it. Actually, after he shares the gospel with Governor Felix, it says that he's, Felix is afraid, like he's scared of Paul and the gospel. And he just leaves Paul in prison because he doesn't know what to do do. with this dude. Um, I think about Elijah. You know the story of Elijah? Elijah's He's such an amazing story to read and his prophets, uh, his his prophetic um, kind of ministry that he had. And um, him and really King Ahab, King Ahab was the wicked king of Israel at that time. He says that he did more evil than all the other kings before him. And Elijah was God's prophet. Elijah would just speak so boldly to him. There's this time where he meets him in the wilderness right before Mount Carmel, that whole scene, right, where God sends fire down. And Ahab's like, calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. There's that troubler of Israel. and, And Elijah's like, you! are the troubler of Israel. You have brought this on your people. The, the rains hadn't fallen for many years and everybody was blaming Elijah for that. And he was like, no, nah, it's Ahab's fault. And it, like Elijah's just unafraid to speak the truth directly to the king and the king really never has a good response back to Elijah. I think about Moses with Pharaoh, right? Um, God sends him into Egypt to go and release the Israelites and Moses, even though he is scared and he talks about, I can't speak well. And, you know, I don't talk good and all those things. And, um, God uses Aaron and they go back in Egypt, but they do, they, they tell the truth of, of what God was going to do and the judgment that was going to befall the Egyptians. And even though the Egyptians don't listen, God does exactly what he said he's going to do. And, and even, this is a different one. Um, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, y'all know who he spoke the truth to King David. King David. And that's a really hard one because King David was God's man, right? King David was a righteous man who loved the Lord, who was after his own heart. But King David, even King David, like you and me, had a season of his life where he was living in sin. And it was Nathan, the prophet, who ended up going to him in in 2 Samuel 12. It tells him this whole story about a man who stole, a, a rich man who stole a poor man's sheep. And David's like, man, that's so wicked. I can't believe somebody would do that. And Nathan tells him, you're the man that did that. You took another man's wife and you had that man killed. Anyway, just speaking truth to somebody in a moment, that can be the hardest thing in the world, right? And y'all, we live in a culture, let's be real, let's be honest, a world full of people, including us at times who prefer lies to truth, who prefer subjectivity and opinions to what is objectively real and objectively true. Our culture is chock full of men and women who would rather hear what they want to hear, what makes them feel good, to follow their hearts and do what pleases me, satisfy my own cravings and desires and instincts. And in that world, in the world that we live in right now, to speak the truth, that is a revolutionary act. That is countercultural. And the world needs people. It needs Christians, us who know the truth to be people who would in this world stand up and speak it when it needs to be spoken. Truth is a, is a revolutionary thing in a culture where lies are preferred. And Jesus actually said this in John chapter three, verse 19, Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world but men loved the darkness. And Jesus uses light and darkness a good bit as um, illustrations of truth and lies, right? Light and darkness. Light has come into the world. Truth has come into the world, but men love the darkness. Why? Instead of the light, because their deeds were evil. Why do people love lies? Why do people love the darkness? Because Jesus said their deeds are evil. Light exposes, truth exposes, does it not? Truth humbles those who are proud. It should. And and those who want to live their lives in the darkness, they love that darkness because their deeds are evil. And so maybe this morning for some of us, we just need to let the truth of God kind of come into our lives and expose the things that need to be exposed, be convicted of the things that need to be convicted, right? And just be humbled under the Lord's hand. And maybe some of us in this room to this morning, and this is just my prayer that if Maybe you're just fearful too in your life to speak the truth, to be bold, to be confident in God's truth. And maybe God's truth would just embolden you today. And so, Daniel chapter four and five, here's here's what we see a couple different interesting stories. So, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream in Daniel chapter four. And just to recap it Daniel four, four through 17, real quick. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He sees a tree in his dream, this great big tree. And then the tree is cut down, and just a stump is left. And then that stump, somehow, you know how your dreams are like super weird. You ever wake up and just have like the weirdest dream that made zero sense, right? So this tree is cut down, the stump is there, and then the stump becomes like this wild animal out in the wilderness, right? So he wakes up from this like fever dream and doesn't know what to do about this. He starts calling people in and he's trying to figure out what the interpretation of it is. Um, he remembers that Daniel is one who can interpret dreams. Daniel comes in, um, tells him the truth. like That tree is you, the stump is you, and you're going to become a wild animal. Here's, here's Daniel 4. Uh, 26 and 27. He says this, the commandment to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. What is Nebuchadnezzar's issue? He's a prideful man, right? And he says, when you acknowledge King Nebuchadnezzar that heaven rules, in your dream you saw that the stump still had roots and God's going to leave your roots in the ground if you would acknowledge that heaven rules. Uh, verse 27, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Now here's the, here, here it comes, the real truth. He says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So Daniel not only tells King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, here, you know, the, the reality is you're the tree, you're gonna be cut down, the stump's gonna remain. God's gonna leave your roots in the ground for a time until you acknowledge him. And then he just gives him advice. He's like, here's my godly advice to you, King repent. You're living in pride. You need to repent of your sins. And until you do that, your kingdom will not be what you want it to be. And so, the story goes on, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his palace. He sees it. he's like, he's out there looking at Babylon. It's a while later and he's kind of looking at Babylon. He just never really learns his lesson um, after the whole, you know, statue thing and all that. But he's out there walking on his palace and he just sees his kingdom, right? And he's like, man, look at what I have done. He's just so pleased with himself. And it says, he hears a voice from heaven that says, all right, here we go. Time has come for this dream to be fulfilled. And it says, right then, King Nebuchadnezzar is driven into the wilderness. What's interesting about this story, too, is that Nebuchadnezzar is the one who wrote it. Daniel didn't write Daniel 4. Um, Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel 4, and Daniel added it into his story later. So it was Nebuchadnezzar's own mouth who was saying, this really happened to me. A king, the king of kings, over all the earth at that time, is the one saying, "I this this really is true." This is an autobiography of Nebuchadnezzar's experience. He gets driven into the wilderness, becomes like an animal, starts eating the grass. Says his his his, his hair grows like feathers. He gets these claws on his hand, like he is a wild animal. The dream interpreted said it would be seven times that this would happen to him, probably seven years that Nebuchadnezzar was driven out into the wilderness. And they kind of kept it secret, really really tell people about it. Uh, Nobody really knew where the king was or what the king was doing because he was like out chewing cud and nobody knew what to do about it. Um, And Nebuchadnezzar just loses his mind. Zoanthropy is the the medical term of this. Uh, When you believe in your mind that you are an animal, it really happens to people every now and then like go mentally crazy. Um, And this happened to the king. Right? But then, but then this happens. Uh, Here's the, here's the kind of the end of the story. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. So he raises his eyes towards heaven. I think about some other stories in the scriptures where this same type thing happens of somebody in their pride having to just be humbled and, until they raise their eyes toward heaven. You know the story of Jonah? gets swallowed by a big fish, all up in his pridefulness, right? Runs away from the Lord, won't do the ministry God's called him to, gets swallowed by the fish in the belly of the fish. What does he do? He turns his eyes to heaven and he prays and he repents of his sin. Then the fish just ubers him to Nineveh, where he's supposed to be anyway, and spits him out. And he goes and he he preaches. I think about Paul killing Christians, throwing them into prison, traveling around the world, doing that until what happens? God knocks him off of his donkey. And what does he see? A vision from heaven. Sees the Lord Jesus. Hears his voice. Finally, Paul, Saul at the time, is able to turn his eyes toward heaven. Think about the prodigal son. You know that story Jesus tells the prodigal son who runs away from his father, spends all of his wealth, like blows it on everything under the sun and then finally loses all of his money. Uh, A famine comes on the land. He hires himself out to pig farmers. He's like hanging out in the pig pen, hoping to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And then it says what? He came to his senses and he realized my father, my father's the one who has everything I've ever needed, right? It's a story about us. It's a story about this about Nebuchadnezzar, about Jonah, about Paul, about me and you, in our pridefulness, sometimes needing to be knocked off of our high horse until we look to heaven and come to our senses. I'm not saying everybody in here is prideful, but everybody in here is prideful in a way. (laughs) It's just true. I am too, y'all. C.S. Lewis, if you've never read Mere Christianity, go read Mere Christianity sometimes, a great book. Um, He's got a chapter in there on pride and he just talks a lot about pride being the cancer of human beings, right? And it's sort of the thing that's, it's very insidious. It's very secretive. It's very sneaky inside of us. Pride is the thing that's the hardest to detect in yourself, especially when you have a lot of it. And the less of it you have, the easier you see it. The more of it you have, the harder it is to see. So man, when we have pride in us, the best thing we can do is surround ourselves with people and, and the word of God, God himself as the main person who will speak truth into our lives, who we can hear. And Nebuchadnezzar at least had the wisdom to ask Daniel and listen to him. And at whatever, maybe seven years into it, turned his eyes to heaven, humbled himself and God restored to him the kingdom. And then the second weird story happens in Daniel chapter five. Um, it's been 20 years later after this and there's a new king, King Belshazzar and they're having this big banquet, this big party. Belshazzar brings out actually some of the items from the temple in Jerusalem. When Babylon sacked Jerusalem, they stole a bunch of the temple items. The temple had all sorts of beautiful ornate furniture inside of it and cups and all these different things. So the king brings out those golden cups and all these things that were in the temple of God. And they begin to pour wine into those things and drink from them and get drunk and actually sacrifice to their gods. And it said that they're, they're worshiping the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone in this big party that Belshazzar is throwing and in the midst of that party this hand appears this weird little moment where this hand just like appears and starts writing on the wall. If you've never heard this story, you've probably heard the saying, the writing on the wall, right? The, the writing on the wall. That just means like something has been kind of shown to you that you didn't know was going to happen. And it kind of foreshadows what's about to come. That's what the writing on the wall means. So he sees this hand and it begins to run on the wall. He freaks out. He didn't know what to do about this. So again, just like uh, Nebuchadnezzar and people before him, he, he's trying to figure out like who can interpret this for me? Who can figure out what's going on here? And so finally Daniel comes in and Daniel is able to speak to him the truth of what that writing on the wall actually says. I'm going to skip down to verse 26 in chapter 5, or 25. It's what it says, Daniel, Daniel, in, in kind of interpreting for the king. He gives him the history of Nebuchadnezzar first, by the way. He's like, this was your dad, Nebuchadnezzar. He was an idiot. He was prideful, but he humbled himself. Belshazzar, you have not done that. And here's what the writing on the wall says, verse 25. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel parson. I have no idea if I'm saying that right. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. This happens to Daniel a lot. He's just honored for his truthfulness, his honesty he was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede, just as the writing said, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So then the Medo-Persian empire takes over Babylon. The Babylonians are no more. Three lessons we learn from this, these two stories, just real quickly, real simply. Three lessons from these two stories. The first is that God is king over all the earth. We know this. All of Daniel is about this, that God is king. He is ruler over every king and every kingdom. Y'all, that has not changed, by the way, in 21st century America. God is still king over all the earth. We have a president. We have a real king. Right? And he's always been king. He'll always be king. And he sets up kings and kingdoms according to it. This is what he told Nebuchadnezzar I put you in charge. You've gotten a big head, so I'm going to humble you until you realize I put you there. Right? This is still true for us. Um, I know some people don't like to believe that whatever election happens in this country, that one person is God's man, but somebody else is not God's man. The reality is whoever's president is put there by God. God put them there. Doesn't mean they're a good person whoever it is, it just means this is the will of the Lord. And he is still in control, still sovereign, still working in the midst of that. Good king, bad king, good president, bad president, doesn't matter. We have a good king, a sovereign, holy king who is in charge over all things. This is a point of the book of Daniel. Uh, Number two, God will humble the proud. He will He does. Scripture is full of this truth again and again and again. We see wicked kings like Pharaoh, like Ahab, like Nebuchadnezzar, like Herod, fall under the hand of God. And even like I said, King David or Jacob in Genesis or Samson or Jonah, Solomon, Peter, Paul, like all these men. And when they get big heads, God has a tendency to bring them down a peg or two or all the way down if need be. God humbles the proud. C.S. Lewis writes that pride is the anti-God attitude. That's the one attitude that is just, it's just completely anti-God. It's all about me. It's all about self. That's what pride is inside of us. It's cancer to us because it makes us not bow before him, not trust in him, not listen to him. And listen, pride can even be in self-deprecation. Pride can be in boastfulness and arrogance. Pride can also be in a constant, uh, kind of constant need to just be woe is me and be uh, like helpless and hopeless in your own situation, not believing that God can do anything, not believing that God can change it, not believing that God can work. Pride comes in all sorts of shapes and forms. It's not just boasting. It's not just arrogance. And sometimes we just walk around complaining and that's pride because we're still making it about who? About me. The devil loves this in us. If we can just keep our eyes right here, kind of navel gazing, staring at ourselves all the time and forget to turn our eyes to heaven, that's pride. Humility is is just that. Look up. Look up. Turn our eyes to heaven. The third lesson that we learn in this story, these two stories, is that truth is designed to both humble the prideful And strengthen the fearful. That truth is designed for this. It's truth that needs to come in where there's pride, where there's arrogance, where there's just navel gazing. I'm just staring at myself, I'm just looking at me, I'm just thinking about me. Truth comes in to turn our eyes to heaven, and we need to be able to receive it. But also, there's times in our lives where we're fearful where we're timid or we're too meek or we're scared just to say what is true to somebody in our lives. And truth is supposed to give us the boldness and the confidence to be able to speak. And that's what's beautiful about truth, right? That's what's great about it because when we lean on God's truth, that's not our truth. I didn't make up truth. Truth is not mine to change and make how I want it to be. Truth is objective. In fact, the Bible teaches us, Jesus himself says, John 14, six, I am the truth. Jesus is truth. He is the one who defines all of truth. He is the perfect definition of what is true. He is God in the flesh. And so when we turn our eyes to Jesus, we are turning our eyes to truth. And it's his truth that we build our lives on and can live according to. And when we do that, it should both humble us because it's Jesus And he's God, and it's his truth, and he gets to tell me what to do and how to live my life. He made me, he purchased me by his own blood, he created me in himself to do good works. He owns me. Pride pride is taken away when we look to Jesus, but it also gives us boldness. The wonderful thing about truth is that, man, it brings us to our knees and it strengthens us at the same time. You get what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with me or what I make up for myself. That's why we stand on this because we can speak this with confidence. Y'all, I can't speak my words and my thoughts and my opinions with confidence and neither can you because we know at some point those things are gonna fall away. Those things are gonna teeter and totter. We're not gonna be able to stand on what we think and what we feel all the time, but we can stand on what's really true. God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. And so kind of two action steps today for us. As we think about these stories, we think about pride and humility and truth's relationship to those things in our lives. Number one would be this. Consider your own pride. Consider your own pride. Consider the areas of your life right now that maybe you're not submitted to God in. The areas of your life where you're being prideful where you're just kind of being all about yourself, where you're being selfish. Paul calls this in Philippians 2, selfish ambition, vain conceit, thinking about ourselves more than we think about God, more than we think about others. Again, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he says that uh, pride is not really thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less or humility is that sorry humility is thinking of yourself less and I think it's a great definition that we would just get to a place where God would allow us by his grace to think of ourselves less and just think of him more and think of others more is there an area in your life right now where you're just being prideful you're just thinking way too much about you and how you feel about something so the call this morning would just be to humble yourself before the lord the apostle james writes this in james 4 He said, but he gives us more grace. This is why the scriptures say God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He's just talking about are you proud of your selfishness? Are you proud of your sin? Are you proud of you living your way? If you are, wash your hands and fall down before the Lord and humble yourself and just ask Him, God, would you show me the truth? And take away my pride. So that's the first thing. The second thing would just simply be this. Consider where and to whom right now in your life you need to speak the truth. Is there a place? Is there a person? Is there some circumstance going on in your world, in your personal life right now, where you know God is calling you to go and speak? Ecclesiastes chapter three says, there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. Last week, we talked about not speaking. Not speaking. Talk about humbling, just being silent before the Lord and sitting still before him. But sometimes God's saying, hey, you need to go say something. You need to go speak up. You need to go share the truth. Y'all, if Christians aren't going to do that in this world, if Daniel wasn't going to do that in Babylon, who is going to do it? It's it's our birthright. Truth is our birthright as Christians. Because we follow the truth, Jesus Christ. And he has called us to be people of the truth. Is there an area in your life right now? Listen, maybe it's sharing the gospel with somebody. Maybe that's the truth. God's calling you to go share with somebody. You know that and you need to go do it. Maybe it's speaking a hard truth to someone that needs to hear that. Maybe it's giving encouragement to somebody that also needs to hear that. Either way, we do it and we do it in love and we do it in kindness. We do it in compassion, but we do it truthfully, okay? So those are the two things today. If there's pride in your life that you would just allow the Lord to humble you. And if there's a lack of speaking the truth, that you would allow the Lord to use you to go and speak it. So we're going to sing again. You guys stand with me. And um, we're just going to sing again. We're going to praise the Lord one more time this morning. As we do that, um, man, if you still need prayer, I would ask the prayer team, you guys can come on back down if you want. And if you still need prayer, come down and receive prayer. Maybe that's a humbling of yourself before the Lord this morning. Um, And we'll still be here after service as well if you need need prayer. We're going to sing together and just praise the Lord who is the truth, for his truth. God, we love you and thank you yes. for your truth and your goodness. Yes. Lead us in that this morning and humble us before yourself. God, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.